Hello, I'm Helen Daly. Welcome to Build It, Thou Come. I'll be speaking with some of Australia's most brilliant innovators and entrepreneurs on how they turned their light bulb idea into concrete reality. We had this strong sense that we couldn't fail. There was no way this couldn't work. Yeah, you know, we really respect our shareholders and, and to me you survive if you add value. So, you know, I could look at it and say I can buy it for that and I can sell it for that. And so if you've got that ability to buy and sell and trade, some people have got it, some people will never get it. Some are household names and some you may never have heard of yet. Today, enjoy part two of my chat with famed Aussie entrepreneur and retailer, Jerry Harvey. You had two children by your first wife and then you married Katie Page in 1988, your bicentennial event. Yep. You have two kids together. Now, you've been married to Katie for 31 years. We lived together for four years before, yeah. What sort of a dad are you, do you reckon? Bruce Shepard wanted to make me father of the year uh, when he was father of the year. I said, mate, I couldn't do that. He said, why not? He said, you've got profile and that sort of thing. I said, look, look, I've been divorced and don't feel as if I could walk around thinking I was father of the year. But I think if you ask my four kids whether I was a good father, I'd be pretty sure they'd all say, yeah, he's pretty, pretty good. So uh, they, they'd have a better opinion of me than I'd have of me, I think. Are you tough on them? Are you far too generous no, no, with no, them? No, no, Do you no. give them everything? No, 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 no. So, <laughs> so first son, he's, he's as miserable as me. Uh, he's only miserable as in tight with your money. Tight with your money, yeah. And, and so he's only recently, I said to him recently, he said, yeah, I've only just started to loosen up. And then my daughter, the 50 year old daughter, she knows how to spend money. But, you know, they've never been given anything much. I've always believed that you don't do them any big favour by giving them a lot of money. The 29-year-old who's a scientist, he, he's only just stopped buying his stuff from St Vincent de Paul. Like he he comes home with a pair of shoes or a shirt and he paid a dollar. I said, John, you can you can afford more than that. And then Kate says, where do you think he got that from? Then I've got my daughter overseas. She's not a spendthrift, but she's in a business with show jumping, which costs a fortune. She's lucky she's got a mother and father like Kate and I. So they're four very different kids. They're all good people. They're all so apart from you know, love. What do you think's the most important thing you taught them? To work hard uh, and be a good person. And if you if you're those two things, everything else will flow along pretty good. You control now something like, what, 31.4% of um, Harvey Norman stock. Katie, about one and a half, maybe a bit more. And with Ian Norman's estate, together you can count on, what, close to 50% of the register. So you can stay as long as you want. Now, Katie Page is the boss. She's the chief executive. Yep. You get a lot of the credit, but she's grown the business enormously, hasn't she? Well, people that that know us both, people in the business know that Kate's the CEO. People that know us well all know that she is more the driving force than I am now. And it's been like that for 20 years. When she first started to work for me, which was 36 years ago or something like that, after about 
three months, I thought, oh, oh, I've got someone here that's pretty good. And then I thought, she could be really good. Then I used to take her to lunch with another girl I used to live with, and I'd be looking at the two of them and I'd say- This is separate when you separated from your wife? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I thought I've got the wrong one, right? So- (laughs) You're joking. So I said- I said to Kate one day, I, oh, you know, do you want to come to the races? She said, yeah, okay. So we had a couple of drinks and the next thing we know we were, we were in a relationship. So then the other girl had to go and I've got this relationship going. So we lived together for four years and, and, and then got married and, you know, we've had a very successful business uh, and and what's the other word, married life for, for 35 years. It's been extraordinarily successful for both of us be fairly difficult to find another husband and wife team uh, anywhere in Australia or New Zealand that's done what we've done. Even in other parts of the world where we travel a bit and meet families in Europe or America, quite a number over the years where they've done a similar thing to us. And it's interesting talking to them because the similarities are all there. You know, do you talk business in the middle of the night? How do you get on? Do you fight much? Uh, do you fight much? No, we don't fight. She only left once. She said she'd left the uh, the bloke before and she took the mixmaster with her. So I said, oh, that was a strange thing to do. So after we'd been living together for a couple of years, we had a blue and she picked up the mixmaster and went out the door. I thought, oh, hello, this is serious. So I ran after her and I said, please bring the mixmaster back and you too and I won't ever, I'll promise to be good and I won't ever, you'll never... And that's the only time she ever left, okay? And she only left for a few minutes. So we have plenty of robust discussions. Neither one of us give in easily, but we have an agreement that when we disagree and we get a bit emotional about it and do our best to win, that five minutes later we've got to revert to normal. If you can do it, it's a wonderful attribute to have because it's all over. There's a bigger picture there. That little thing you that was this really buzzing around in your head, a year later you won't even know what it was. So if you can solve the problem quickly. So we do do that and it works very well. Are you someone who watches every cost, reads all the financial statements, keeps up with who's spending what, or have you let a bit of that go now oh, no, in no, Harvey the, Norman? The business is way too big for me to do that. In the old days I would. I'm like that. I, I'd be watching every little cost. Um, and, and, and because you've done that all your life, it's very difficult to spend money because you've always been saving and trying to get something at a better price. And it's, it's difficult to let go. But as the years go by, you think, well, I've, I've got all this money and I'm acting as if I've got none. So, you know, like we still travel, uh, economy and aeroplanes all over the country. We don't know anyone that does what we do. Everyone we know that's got wealth like we've got is always in in the front of the plane. We're never there unless someone upgrades us internationally. I did never travel anything other than economy class internationally until I was 50 years of age. Now I go first class. When it's international, I go first class. Because I'd say to myself, you can't be this stupid. But What's I, the point of having wealth if you can't enjoy it? I know, it? but I was 50, right? And what's the point now? I walk past people in the in the front of the plane in first class all the time. I know someone a lot of the time, and I'm always going down. It's pretty good for your image. So people look at you and they sit down next to you. So I thought you'd own your own plane, and you say, "Yeah, I could afford that." 
well, what are you doing sec- sitting in second class? I said, oh, well, just saves a bit of money. So Kate's like that. To her credit, she's exactly the same as me. And the other good thing, all our staff do the same thing. They're not game to go and sit in, in first class and see us walking down the back into second. For all your successes, you have had some business investments that went horribly wrong. And I'm thinking Harvey Norman initially invested, what, something like 30-odd million in 2016 into dairy farming. And that got you into a spot of bother and became a cash drain on Harvey Norman. It was put into administration, then bailed out by Harvey Norman. Then you put it into administration. It was a big loss for your shareholders. Why on earth did you go into dairy and what did you learn from that? When you're an entrepreneur like I am, over the years, I look back, where were the three biggest mistakes I made? One of the biggest ones was I bought Clive Peters. I lost oh, 100. I vaguely remember that. Yeah, 2008 or seven or something like that. And I lost 100 million. Then on the dairy, I lost 70 million, 75 million on that. That was a really bad mistake. But in the big picture, if we lost 75 million and we make 10 million a week or 12 million a week, it's six or seven weeks and you got it back. So it's, it's not big in the big picture. It's embarrassing. I mean, I thought that everyone's running around with a cappuccino. They're all drinking milk. So milk is the big new product right across the world. Milk. Because the world's becoming westernised and everywhere you go in the world, someone's running around with a cup of milk. So I thought, milk, I'm right in the long term. Don't worry about, I've got no doubt, people that run dairy farms in the future will make a fortune because people drink milk and always will. So, you know, I've made a couple of bad mistakes. But if you put them beside all the other things, I made hundreds and hundreds of good good decisions and the, the, the few bad ones are really in the big picture, they don't count. What did you learn out of that? I mean, does it still mean as an entrepreneur no. you're still going to have a go at something? Well, the thing that scares me about it is that I mightn't have a go at something again. So at the moment I've got a cucumber farm. This cost me $30 million, but I'm making good money out of it. Okay. Have you got your thirty million back? That sounds like an awful lot to invest in cucumbers. Well, it is, but I've got one of the best cucumber farms in the world, uh, and I am making good profit every year. So at the end of the day, it's a good little business. If you ask me, would I do that again? Now I say, oh, the dairy—that scares me. You know, maybe I wouldn't do it or something like that. So, but but at the moment, I think to myself, just concentrate on your business. Don't worry too much about some of these other things you might have done. Like we would never have gone to New Zealand. We'd have never gone to Slovenia, Croatia, Ireland, all these places if we weren't adventuresome and had having a go. I mean, oh, that's the other big problem, Ireland. That was the biggest mistake of all. The dairy was nothing compared with Ireland. I remember interviewing We lost $200 you. million dollars in Ireland, but we've stayed there, we fought back, and now we're making a profit in Ireland. But- that was the biggest mistake. Clive Peters was the second, the dairy was the third. They're the three big ones in the last 30 years. Not really significant when you consider that in the, in the big picture, in 30 years, that's not too bad. But they hurt at the time. Oh, yeah. It, it doesn't hurt anyone more than people like Kate and I because yeah. 
it dents our reputation. We're idiots and, and, you know, we don't like to be idiots. You criticise political correctness. I don't want to go into all the things you've criticised and then you yeah. get criticised back for yeah. it. But you criticise political correctness in companies. You say, you know, to have diversity is just ticking a box. But, I mean, is that just railing you railing against fund managers who have a go at you? Because really, I mean, you're... CEO is a woman and she's obviously extremely capable. Most of your customers, I would argue, would be women in the household making those purchases or at least making the decisions. Sure. So Kate brings up the best argument of all. We've only got one woman on the board, that's her. And she says, is a CEO woman equivalent to how many independent women board members? So if you have three independent women board members, they don't have much say in running the company. The CEO's board is a woman. I think that makes up for two or three of the others. The other big thing is that 34% of our top executives are women. And when we, when we get that percentage from most other companies, we rate very highly. So her argument is if you rate really highly – in your company with executives as women, then that's much more important than being on the board. So then you get the people, they're, they're, they tick the box because they've got two or three women on the board, but they, they have five or 10% in executive no positions. No down below. Right? So this is crazy stuff. And, and the two or three that are on the board mostly are not running the company. They're there as independent directors. I rail against stuff that I think is stupid. And, and so you look back at the history of retailing and I've done this and I can name you all the retailers that existed in Australia from 1900 to now. And none of them had boards to speak of. The big ones, David Jones and Grace Brothers and Myers, when they were all powerful, they didn't, all the people They're that ran families. it, they were all families and all the people that ran it were retailers. And so then when we get all these retailers that emerge after that, they mostly go broke because they're being run by people on the board, none of whom are retailers. They have the one person to retail as the CEO. History tells you that model doesn't work. So I go out and keep preaching this and people call me an idiot. But I've got the runs on the board. I'm not wrong. They're wrong. And so why would I just agree with them? It's yeah, yeah, of course you're right. You're not right, you're wrong. So uh, when I see these things out there, I, I call them out. And, and you know, when we talk about short selling, I think it should be banned. I think it creates criminals. All sorts of things that I have a view on that is contrary to the views of a lot of other people. But I'm out there saying these things because I think they're right. I, and I, a lot of people come up to me and say, you know, I agree with everything you say. You also get criticised, among other things, for not turning over your board directors. Uh, many have been with you a very long time. Now, is that, in your view, because they're really good, or or is there a loyalty thing with you? Well, two things. One's loyalty and, and two, they're very good. From my point of view, I don't see how... It's much better to have a company. If you've got 10 people on the board, at least five of them should work in the company. Is that the case on yours? Yes. And, and so the other five then don't have to work in the company. So ideally, you want at least one lawyer and one accountant, maybe another lawyer and an accountant from my point of view, because I don't want another retailer on my board. Yeah. I've got enough. Uh, and if I did 
pick a retailer to go on my board, who the hell would I pick? I have a different view on what a board should be. Just fairly briefly, if we can, you love racehorses, breeding, uh, breeding them, trading them, selling, you know, selling them. Are you concerned about mistreatment of horses, cruelty of former racehorses, too much breeding, too many horses that then have to go to the knackery? No, 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 no. I've been a, I'm a farmer all my life. I'm an animal lover all my life. I grow crops. I'm a, I'm an environmentalist. I'm all of those things. So nobody cares more about animals and farming and improving the land. I grow all my own fruit and vegetables and all those sort of things. So, so from my point of view, this is a never ending problem going forward with animals, whether it's cats or dogs or sheep or cattle or horses, because they're all going to be put down because there's too many or uh, culled or, uh, you know, so you have this issue all the way through on the whole animal front, the number of people now that won't eat animals at all. And and so, you know, they have their views and that's fine, but there's a whole heap of people that do eat animals. So when you start talking about animal cruelty, when you kill an animal and eat it, that's animal cruelty, I guess whatever the animal may be. So is a horse any different to a cow, to a pig, or any other? I think it's other? about killing it humanely, though, and not oh, mistreating you, it in that process. Well, then you've had abattoirs all these years where, you know, hopefully, um, you know, they, they are killed humanely. If you were advising keen young entrepreneurs or just young people these days, on how to build something from an idea and to transform it into something sustainable, lasting, what would be the key thing you'd tell them? The secret is that if you want to build that business, you have to have a very, very strong work ethic. Uh, and I think you have to be able to get people that want to work for you. And if you've got the ability to be able to get people to work for you that will work harder for you than they will for other people, then you're using this talent that they've got. And I've always concentrated on that because I've always thought, there's plenty out there smarter and better than me. If I can get them to work for me, they're doing well and so am I. I've got a favourite saying where I say to people, how many good bosses have you ever had in your life? And when People answer that it's between naught and three, mostly a one and two. And then you ask them how many bosses they've had, and often it can be up to 10 or 20 or 30. So if you can ever figure out how to be a really good boss, then you've got a big start on the guy that can't figure that out. So when we talk to people about being a boss, we talk about their work ethics, their likability factor, how people really do like or not like to work for them, how they treat people. And, and some people don't treat people well. But if you treat people well uh, and you respect them, then they're going to, you're going to get a lot more out of them. This is basic common sense. And you're going to stay working forever? Well, I'm reading a book at the moment on how to get to 100 and still be working. So physically, I'm in the top 5% of people for my age in the country. Is that because you eat well and you eat your own homegrown vegetables? That, that I do enough exercise and, 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 um, and so 
you know, mentally I'm still, I'm still okay. I've got Kate to tell me the day that she says, you've lost it. Uh, she'll tell me. Uh, my kids will tell me. Uh, and, and, and if that time comes, well, I can't do anything about that. The, the trick now is to get to a hundred and still keep doing what you're doing now. So if I can be playing golf, I can be playing tennis. I've been c- coming to work every day. I can be doing a lot of the things I like doing. I can be a hundred. So you've got a guy called. And you called, want to do that? Sure. At a hundred. Well, because I'm going to have a much better life than the person that retired at 55 or 65 and then spent the rest of their life doing nothing. And, and so you've got Len Ainsworth, who's now 96. He's the oldest guy around that still goes to work. I ran into Harry Triggerboff the other day on the Gold Coast, and he said he ran, ran into Frank Lowy the other day, and Frank said to him, are you going to finish that building? Right? So Harry thought that was pretty funny because Harry's nearly, no, Harry's 80, 80, 86 or 7 or 8, something like that. Frank's about 86, 7 or 8. I said to Harry, I said, you and Frank and, and Rupert Murdoch are my three people I admire a lot. I forgot Len Ainsworth. He's better than the three of them. He's older. But, you know, I spoke to Rupert about it, and Rupert is nearly 90. And so I said, you know, he said, my mother lived to 100. Why can't I? So Rupert hasn't got any idea of, you know, not being there, neither of the others, Every each to their own. Jerry Harvey, it's been a great pleasure. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed Build It, Thou Come. Let me know via Twitter at Helen underscore Daly. Better still, let your family, friends and colleagues know. Share it around your networks. And be sure to subscribe as there'll be plenty of upcoming episodes with more amazing Australian innovators and entrepreneurs on how they turned their idea into an empire.